This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, July 17, 2016, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Brian Dixon. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. If you're new or new-ish, a special welcome to you. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, just a couple quick things, a clarification uh, that youth, our fuel program, the summer stuff that we have going on, that's all free. There's no cost associated to it, but everything that Aaron said about anything in the future where we have a cost attached to it, if your student's unable to go because of that cost, let us know. We have scholarships. We can let them get them there. Also, I just want to highlight real quick our Connect cards. Um, Please use those if you're new or you're not. Um, If you want some more information about our, our doctrines or about a ministry or whatever, what have you. Um, use that as a means to communicate. Um, you can put them in the offering urns up here or in the back. Um, that does not obviously replace actual contact with us. We're just saying on a Sunday, if you're unable to actually talk to one of the pastors or talk to a leader, use those Connect cards because we will get to you. We'll try and get that information to you as soon as we can uh, after receiving it. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here And Sam, our regular preaching pastor, he uh, is finishing up his vacation. And so, again, I have the opportunity this morning to share from God's Word, and I am excited. It's going to be a good morning. Uh, We are going to be in Genesis chapter 18, so I invite you to please open your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Genesis chapter 18. We are going to be in the second half of chapter 18 this morning. As you're turning there, though, I want to kind of recap a little bit from last week. As we were in the first half of Genesis 18, we saw the Lord once again speaking to Abraham and Sarah and and presenting to them His promise of offspring, His promise of a son, Isaac. But in hearing this, Sarah laughs at the Lord much like her husband did in the chapter previous. They they laugh at this, and then Sarah proceeds to present her rational, common-sense argument uh, to the Lord to this incomprehensible promise. God, we're too old. Their reproductive years had ended, not to mention Sarah could not have kids to begin with. She was barren. So what hope? What hope did they have in seeing this promise fulfilled? Well, God, He addresses the impossible. And the Lord responds to Sarah with this profound rhetorical question. He says to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord confronted us through His Holy Spirit with this same question. We were challenged to expect more from God than what we could comprehend. We also saw that the way God works out His promises is through incomprehensible and supernatural means that magnifies His sovereign grace. It makes much and highlights His power and His control and displays His magnificence. And it was through a cross namely the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that the promises of God were achieved. Now today, as we read through our text, 
we see the other reason why the Lord has come to Abraham. He has come to share with him and reveal to him his plan to destroy Sodom. Chapter 18 as a whole uh, gives us a clear picture into the two realities of God's character, which are promise for the righteous, God's people, and punishment for the unrighteous, God's enemies. Now, God's punishment for the unrighteous is, is a hard pill to swallow. It's not something we want to talk about. It's not typically something you lead with at church, like God's punishment for the unrighteous. That sucks. You know, it's like it's not where we generally go. Kind of avoid this topic at all costs. But I believe as we go through our text this morning, it is important for us to understand and to um, read into this side of God. Because in order for us to understand and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ as good news, we have to address what the theologians call depravity. Our moral corruption, the sin that separated us at birth from God, or the bad news. The bad news. Mark Dever is a pastor, an author, and the president of Nine Marks, a Christian ministry devoted to biblically equipping churches in America. And in his book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism, he writes on this topic. And he says, Now all of this may seem to be too grim to have much at all to do with anything called the good news. But there is no doubt that an accurate understanding of where we are now is essential to getting us to where we need to be. Our problems aren't fundamentally that we have messed up our own lives or have, simply, or have simply failed to reach our full potential, but that we have sinned against God. So in order to understand the good news as such, we do have to understand the bad news as well. In order for our God to be just, there needs to be punishment for the unjust. In order for our God to be good, there needs to be punishment for evil. Otherwise, He wouldn't be these things. Real quick, God's punishment, though, is not to be confused with His discipline. The Bible says that God disciplines those whom He loves. It's in Jeremiah 17. But in our text this morning, we see not God's discipline, but His judgment, His punishment for sin, for the unrighteous, and for the wicked. And with this in mind, as we get into our text, let's jump into Genesis chapter 18, and we'll be starting at verse 16, going all the way through. Then the men set out from there. And they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice 
so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. And then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Now to give a little perspective here on Sodom and its neighboring city, Gomorrah, these were the two leading cities at the south end of the Dead Sea. These cities were about... 18 miles or so from Abraham's home in Hebron. Now there is no doubt that the wicked and perverse state of these cities was known throughout the land. Look at verse 20. The outcry. God says, I've heard the outcry. These cities were so corrupt, so bad, that there was an outcry against them. Lord, do something. Do something. Abraham was fully aware of this, and as his hypothetical number of people dwindles from 50 to 10, and I kind of find this part of the section of Scripture and, and this interaction kind of humorous as you're going through, as Abraham comes to the Lord and he pleads on behalf of Sodom, and he's like, Lord, really? If there's 50 there, are you really going to destroy the city and, and take out the righteous as well? And the Lord responds to him. I think Abraham's kind of taken up, like, aback by this. Like The Lord has an interaction with him as if he was a friend. And he takes, it, and he takes his request and says, you know what? If I find 50, I will spare the city. Abraham's like, oh, uh, okay. 
okay, that, that's awesome. That's great. Hold on. Wait a second. Talking about Sodom and Gomorrah here. Uh, Lord, real quick, um, let's just say there's like five of those 50 mm, not so righteous. Will you still? God's like, no, no. For 45, I, I won't do it. <laughs> well, Lord, funny thing is, what if you can't find 40? 30? 20? And he's like, he gets to this point where it's almost like he, he knows, okay, I know who I'm talking about here. I know, I, 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 I've seen these cities. God, if you, if you just find 10, 10 who are righteous in this city, would you spare the city? And God says, yes, yeah. If I find 10, I will spare the city. But just think as Abraham's having this interaction with God, as he's thinking about who he's talking about, he's like, oh, no. I'm amazed that the Lord would speak to me. I am but dust and ashes. He would listen to what I have to say. Let's be realistic. Ten? Ten, Lord? Sodom and Gomorrah throughout the Bible is often used as the example of God's punishment for evil, for the unrighteous. The Bible teaches that the men of these cities were had fully indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires and unnatural relationships. There was no regard for God's design. There was no regard for God's righteousness, for God's authority. There was no regard for God. And as you read on, you see that there was not even ten people who demonstrated the righteousness of God. In fact, in chapter 19, we see that only four were found to be righteous. That was Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. God rescues them, but because there was no one else, because that number was not fulfilled, there was nothing that could stop the just punishment and devastation that was to come to Sodom and Gomorrah. As I read through this, um, something that was going through my head um, as I'm going through this and thinking about these cities is like, I'm not sure what was at least initially more disturbing to me was the fact that God would destroy these cities like this or that God couldn't find one person who was righteous. The Bible says that the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love. We see that in our text this morning as he sends these men down to investigate. As you read on in chapter 19 and even 20, we see that the Lord, he goes in and he investigates and the God is not unaware of the wickedness of these cities. But because God is so good and he's so slow to anger, he's willing to give them more time more time to repent, more time to see their wickedness and to turn to Him. He's cautious in making sure that His judgment is just and it always is. And when the Lord reveals to Abraham His plan to destroy Sodom, Abraham does something interesting. Look at verse 23. Abraham drew near to the Lord. Or he prayed. 
he prayed to the Lord and pleaded for God's people who might be in Sodom. Again, Abraham's nephew Lot and his family were in Sodom, and so um, his motivation could have been them. But nonetheless, we see that Abraham reveals a richer side of his character, his generosity, his sympathy, his sensitivity, his concern for righteousness in God and in man. He also showed that he understood God's willingness to forgive and to grant full forgiveness even for the most wicked. Because Sodom, no doubt, was wicked. As the patriarch of the faith, it would do us well to follow Abraham's example. To display these same characteristics in similar circumstances. How often have you pleaded with the Lord on the behalf of someone else? And how often has that someone else been a fellow believer? A non-believer? How often has it been someone you're at odds with? Someone you don't like. I find it shameful and sad how often Christians rejoice over the demise and misery of others, especially brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is not how the people of God are to act. In fact, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy in his letter to him, he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4, through four, he says this, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I'll say that again. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Our Lord, our King, Jesus, at His Sermon on the Mount, shared this and spoke this truth to them and to us through His Holy Spirit now. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Or in other words, God shows His grace and care For everyone, whether they believe or not, and as followers of Jesus, we are to imitate God and love both our neighbor and our enemies. And this is what we see Abraham doing. He is displaying this. How a follower of God should act. It's easy to despair. It's easy to go down the road and go, yeah, you know what? Too far gone. There's no hope. But there's always hope in Christ our Lord.
But to be clear, this story is not about Abraham and his character. This story is not about Sodom and its perverse state, its perverse corruption. This story, frankly, is not about us. I think so often we can get so focused on the good or the evil of man in these stories that we lose sight of the main point, which is God's sovereign grace, God's power and control, and His magnificent plan to save a people. Some of you may be thinking, though, how does this story point to all these good things about God when He's about to destroy entire cities. I believe there's two ways in which this story does this. It shows us God's goodness. The first being this, that God lets no wrong go unpunished. God lets no wrong go unpunished. There is nothing worse than when evil goes unpunished. That when someone who is overtly guilty is let off with little or no punishment. And you don't have to be a Christian to feel this, that there is something wrong with our world. And I think as image bearers of God, God has put something deep within us that evil is, no, not good. And it's not okay for evil to keep going. And to keep going unpunished. There should be a punishment. There should be something that corrects that evil. It says, no, you're wrong. You can't do that. But tragedy, suffering, injustice, evil, sickness, pain, and death, they continue. They continue relentlessly. And why is that? Why does that happen? Well, the Bible answers this question. It answers it in Genesis chapter 3. What is known as the fall. The Bible explains in Genesis chapter 3 that the source of all the sin and death we face in this world began with our first parents, Adam and Eve, and their disobedience to God. They listened to the lies of Satan and his false promise that man can be equal to God. Man can be God. Why follow God when you can be God? He's holding out on you. You can't trust him. Why would he set up this perfect garden and not let you have everything in it? He's not good. He's not just. And so sadly and tragically, we read how Adam stood by Eve silently, partaking in sin, failing to do what God created him to do, which is lovingly lead his family and humbly serve God. Adam joins his wife Eve in disobeying God, which brought shame, distrust, and separation between Adam and Eve and between them and God. This included 
them hiding from God, from one another, and covering themselves in shame, which is what mankind has been doing ever since. It was at that disobedience that sin entered the world, that respect was replaced with rebellion, that a clear conscience was replaced with guilt and shame, that intimacy with God was replaced with separation from God, and blessing was replaced by physical, spiritual, and eternal punishment. And I believe this is what our text today makes known to us, that a holy and righteous God cannot and will not let sin go unpunished. He cannot. It's against his nature. We also see that we cannot save ourselves or anyone else from this just punishment. As you look at the interaction between Abraham and God, as kind of humorous as it is, as even cool as it is to see what Abraham's doing and see his heart, think about what Abraham cannot do. Abraham cannot save the city of Sodom. Abraham cannot stop the just punishment that is to come to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham cannot take on the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah and say, Lord, take me instead. Nor is he willing to. Look at verse 33 of our text this morning. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Why? Because I can't save Sodom. I cannot save them. Now let's think about the audience to which this book was written to. Remember that Moses is writing this book to God's people who are entering into the promised land. He's clearly warning them here, don't be like Sodom. Do not follow in their footsteps. I think he's simultaneously calling them to trust in the one and only God who can save them from their sins. You are going to build on the promised land that God has given you. Do not build it on your own ideas, on your own thoughts, on your own fill in the blank. But build it on the foundation of God and His promises. Because if you do not, you will see a demise like Sodom and like Gomorrah. You will end up there. My second point to how this text shows us God's goodness is that God alone has the power to save. God alone has the power to save. Like Abraham, we are powerless to stop God's judgment.
So be gone, Satan. You have no authority here. Amen. Amen. Yeah. We are free in Christ. We have been made right in and through Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate that. That's why we're here. We're here as a family. We've been adopted in. I encourage you, if you do not know or believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, I encourage you to, in faith, trust in Him. To become part of the fold, the family of God. To partake in communion and be reminded that the wrath of God that is upon you has been lifted in Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God that he has done what we could not do. This is why we celebrate. This is why we come together. This is why we open this word and read it. And this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray together.